Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alright, the Champions League is back, so are we, with another chronology of the Champions League. We're going back in this Le Grand Keeps episode, back to where we picked up 2007-8 season. We've got the rise, the continued rise of Manchester United, the constant pain that was Chelsea. Milan were defending champions but fell to another curse. We've got it all, let's get stuck in. This podcast is, of course, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, where we, I say we, I mean me, every week in the What If Football podcast, we look at previous seasons gone by of the Champions League, of the Premier League, and other little bits here and there as well. We've got some stuff lined up for the World Cup, if you're wondering. We've got uh, a World Cup daily podcast planned, and we've got tons of podcasts each and every day over there on uh, Patreon, if you like stuff like this, for just £1 a month. We've got some exciting things planned for the World Cup, but I'll leave that up to your imagination for the time being. Let's get into the Champions League of 2007-8. So we mentioned last time out, if you can remember, if you stuck around, well done, this is your reward. That's uh, the the Champions League winners of the mid to late 2000s had a little bit of a curse going on with Porto bowing out of the last 16 in 2005, Liverpool doing likewise in 2006, and the previous season to this, Barcelona doing the same. And here, Milan as defending champions were given a... Pretty slippery group in all fairness. They were they were faced off with Celtic and they were faced off with Shakhtar Donetsk as well. Celtic beat them 2-1 at Celtic Park on the second match day. Of course, that was a, a spot of revenge for their previous exit the, uh, the the last season where Kaka scored the only goal across two legs in extra time in the last 16 to eliminate the boys. And uh, they didn't have any problems, Milan, this is, with Shakhtar Donetsk beating them 4-1 and 3-0, scoring seven goals across the two games. And uh, in and amongst that, we have some important goals scored by Pippo Inzaghi, the Champions League winner from the prior season. And we've also got Andrea Perlo, who instigated both of those goals. And uh, they were both on the score sheet and causing uh, some problems in the group. And Milan 
were safely safely through, in all honesty, and they were met with Arsenal in the last 16. Arsenal had been um, on the fringes, really, on the precipice of potential success, and um, they'd gone out in the last 16 the prior season to PSV. It looked as though they were, well, they were probably favourites to go out at the last 16 stage again to the European champions, but as we mentioned in the introduction, the curse continued and uh, and Milan would be undone by Arsenal. And funnily enough, the last team to break this curse, so to speak, this mini curse here was Milan in 2003-04. But even then, they were shocked in the uh, in the quarterfinals there, which um, goes to show that the defending champions were treating the, uh, the following season's competition just as the World Cup winners would. And um, of course, more on that this winter when we take a look at plenty of World Cup history but for now it's it is the Champions League and late goals by Arsenal saw off in AC Milan in the San Siro one of the um, in the canon of Champions League games that many the mainstream remember this one is flies under the radar considering how good Milan were how good Carlo Ancelotti had them set up and how very little experience outside of the 2006 Champions League final that Arsenal had had by this point it was a completely different team there's no Lundberg, there's no Henri, no Perez, no Sol Campbell, no Jens Lehmann in this team. So that's five huge stalwarts there and probably missing a few off as well. So this is a very different team in terms of Arsenal to that Champions League final team, their only Champions League final team. But it was them going through to the quarterfinals and not Milan. How did Milan's roommates, how did they fare? Well, Inter Milan didn't really do much better either. They rebounded from a tough start, a bit of a rough start, as was um, as was the style really around this time. In Istanbul against Fenerbahce, they lost that match on the opening night, but Zlatan Ibrahimovic was coming to the fore and um, they came to a, a similar sticky end against um, English opposition, scoring zero goals in the last 16. But in the meantime, Zlatan Ibrahimovic and friends, Julio Cruz, for example, were uh, scoring goals by the bucket load in the group phase. Unfortunately, though, this was a distinctive shift from... Um, Italian teams and Spanish teams to the, this was essentially the, the Champions League of the English dominance. Italy just had one representative in the quarterfinals and it was the same as it was the prior year. Now Juventus had got to the um, a couple of quarterfinals, of course we've had Milan running amok, obviously that wouldn't happen this time round. But it was Roma again, and unfortunately they were paired off with Manchester United again. And of course we discussed the 7-1 in the prior episode of La Grandeza Keeps. I'll give you a second to check that out now. And yes, they met them not twice, but four times. And uh, it was a group stage where it was essentially between Roma and Sporting Club de Portugal um, to make it to the last 16. And Roma did end up pipping Sporting there. We uh, we detailed Luciano Spalletti's amazing 4-6-0 that um, probably helped Man United along in more ways than just a 7-1 in 2007's quarterfinal, but tactically as well, and we'll mention that in great detail later on. Roma, meanwhile, they were, well, they got the only point that uh, Manchester United surrendered, but that was ultimately after five wins from five from the Red Devils and Roma. They had um, got through to the last 16 and got through the last 16, of course, paired off with with Manchester United again. This time there was no 7-1s. There was, um, of course, the the goalkeeper from the prior 
prior season didn't make it to the uh, Old Trafford group stage game, probably out of fear, but uh, there we are. In terms of other pretenders, we have Sevilla and Juan de Ramos. They had won two UEFA Cups in a row against mighty Middlesbrough and compatriots Espanyol. Now it was the, the time for them to graduate to the big boys of the Champions League football, of course, around this stage. Winning the UEFA Cup didn't automatically grant you Champions League football. Sevilla were helped by somewhat of a of a comfortable group. They were meeting Slavia Prague and Staubucharest, but um, ultimately were outclassed 3-1 by the Arsenal. And then came the knockout stages. And even though they were playing in the UEFA Cup around this time, Sevilla making the competition their own, really, essentially around this time, they were playing some good teams. So in 2006... Lokomotiv Moscow, Lille, Zenit, Schalke and Borra. I'd say, obviously, Middlesbrough aside, no disrespect, but Middlesbrough aside, those are all Champions League teams, in my opinion. Um, Zenit certainly would become a Champions League staple. Lokomotiv Moscow dipping in and out of the tournament, as do Lille. And Schalke are about to do some big things in the next few years, which we'll be looking at later on. Um, in 2007, Met Stour Bucharest, Shakhtar Donetsk, by this point, Champions League staple. Spurs, Osasuna and Espanyol. So not as not as um, tough a run to the, the 2007 final, but still Shakhtar Donetsk, Stau Bucharest, um, let's not forget Stau Bucharest, former European champions in their own rights. And um, unfortunately, Sevilla wouldn't be able to get through even the first knockout round because after two, three, two matches, completely, completely throwing the defensive style of European football to one side of the time. And uh, they were out at the penalty shootout, an all too rare Champions League penalty shootout. We did have two, though, in this year's tournament. They would lose to Fenerbahce and Fenerbahce would move on to their first ever quarterfinal in the Champions League. And um, via the the likes of David D'Souza's goals and uh, backed by a pretty hostile atmosphere, which we noted with uh, their win over Inter Milan in the group phase, they weren't a bad team at all, in all fairness. Um, their quarterfinal exit remains their greatest achievement yet. They weren't the only surprise team in the quarterfinals, as we just outlined there in 2006, with uh, Sevilla beating Schalke. Schalke would make the quarterfinals too, and they, unlike Sevilla, got there courtesy of a penalty shootout. But unfortunately, and perhaps understandably, Schalke went out to Barcelona, who, despite still playing under Frank Rijkaard, the burning embers of that particular dynasty, they were um, still quite a team to be feared. Lionel Messi had got even better in the... um, increasing absences of Ronaldinho there and to think that they needed a win over Rosenborg to qualify on the final match day so it's 2007 2008 season we're discussing Champions League football knockout stage football so that means and has meant for quite some time that Real Madrid were in the last 16 they always get through the groups don't they it's just a a matter of uh when, not if, and in terms of their where they'd finish, at this point it's becoming a matter of when, not if, in terms of the last 16 they would go out. And they'd, they'd won all of their home games in the group to the likes of Olympiacos, who were not a bad team whatsoever, Werder Bremen, um, not too distant memories of um, them dominating German football, and Lazio. Um, unfortunately, they failed to win away, and... 
that kind of inferred how they were to be punished in the last 16 again against Roma here and that was two defeats so they suffered their only defeat at the Bernabeu and they were out um, Roma playing Manchester United in the quarterfinals not Real Madrid and Real Man United an all too rare Champions League match between two giants which we missed out on of course Meanwhile, Celtic, they were in the last 16. Again, of course, they were eliminated by Milan the prior year. They'd beaten Milan this time and they got to the same stage as Milan. The last 16 here and unfortunately were beaten by Barcelona. But like the prior year, they pushed them all the way and it was only a late Lionel Messi goal that won it at Celtic Park and essentially an early Xavi goal at the camp now puts um, Barcelona 4-2 up on aggregate, essentially puts the game beyond Celtic, unfortunately. But around that point, last 16 for Celtic was um, no mean feat, an incredible achievement, obviously for a team that previously won the tournament and previously got to a second final, which um, tends to be swept under the carpet, lost to history. But here they were, they were probably just about punching above their weight with last 16 exits in successive seasons, of course. But if you see the calibre of teams, Schalke, Fenerbahce, there's no reason to suggest that with a nice draw, Celtic could have made the quarterfinals, perhaps even semifinals. And quarterfinals is where Arsenal would fall. After defeating Milan, they were involved in probably severe Fenerbahce aside, probably one of the maddest ties of this Champions League knockout phase. They uh, drew with an away goal in the uh, first leg at the Emirates, unfortunately, and um, the history books then said that Liverpool would then go back to Anfield, beat them comfortably as uh, they had European history on their side, whilst Arsenal tended not to really. Abu Dhabi scored early on and... Uh, Really, the game spins on Theo Walcott's substitution. By no means an experienced player here. He was quite ridiculed, really, for making the England squad in the 2006 World Cup. Regardless, he had one thing, pace, which um, against a tiring Liverpool team, he absolutely obliterated all of them running the length of the pitch to set up Emmanuel Adebayor for one of the greatest tappings you're ever likely to see. And um, Arsenal essentially was six minutes away from a Champions League semi-final, only their second Champions League semi-final on away goals. But then it was Steven Gerrard tucking away a penalty and it was Ryan Babel ending the tie 4-2, 5-3 on aggregate, of course. Would Liverpool make a third final in four seasons? Well, we'll find out after this short break. Welcome back. So we promised some Liverpool chat. Well, they were looking ominous after the knockout stage ties that we've discussed. They dismantled into Milan, taking two clean sheets away from those fixtures. And despite conceding plenty against Arsenal, they were through to the semi-final. History was on their side. Experience of the players was on their side. The manager had history in Europe, not only with Liverpool in the Champions League of 2005, but also with Valencia in 2004 with a a double winning year that year. They were already penciled in for the Champions League the uh, the following season quite comfortably because this was the era of the big four of Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea and Manchester United. And all four of those really took to this Champions League campaign well. And we'd already had one all-English tie. So it's the mid-2000s, mid to late-2000s. It's Champions League, it's England. So it's, it's obviously Liverpool versus Chelsea, isn't it? So we're talking four seasons here. This is... The 7th and 8th matches in the Champions League alone 
between Liverpool and Chelsea. Obviously, you factor in their two league fixtures guaranteed a year. You factor in their League Cup final as well. FA Cup semi-final, I believe they also played. So you're talking there about 20, 21 matches, probably throwing a Community Shield, I reckon. Um, probably 2006 Community Shield final would have been between Liverpool and Chelsea, wouldn't it? So you got there 21 matches, an absolute minimum, in four seasons. And no wonder Mourinho and Benitez absolutely detest each other. Um, so you look at the, the results from the between the two teams in the, in the prior seasons. We've got a nil-nil, we've got a one-nil, a nil-nil, a nil-nil, a one-nil and a one-nil. So we, this is the semi-finals of Champions League football. At the last stages of any competition, it's natural for football to become slightly tenser, slightly more defensive in an already defensive style, already defensive era of the time. This was not this was not the 1954 World Cup with an average goal per game record of five or something daft. This was dour football. This was Euro 2004. This was Porto. This was anything that was not fluent attacking football. Obviously, with incredible footballers, we, we uh, have to admit that. But... Um, the first leg was something a little different, though. Yes, it wasn't a free-flowing nine-goal humdinger by any means, but it featured for the first time both teams scoring in the same game in a Champions League match at the uh, at the seventh time of asking. And essentially, Liverpool were unlocked by the concession of an away goal, courtesy of John Anarisa and um, numerous jokes which spawned it about him heading the wrong way up a motorway and all those really crap patter that you get again after uh, in the aftermath of something sporting like this and uh, unfortunately John Anarisa's goals would have uh, massive consequences really and after the nil nil one nil one one debacles the eighth match all pretense was abandoned we'd had we'd had um, if I can do my maths correctly here five goals in seven matches between the pair in the 2007 semi-final, it went to extra time. So did this one. Um, but then it is um, just, it is, it's balmy, put it that way. The game comes alive. It's 1-1 um, after 90 minutes. The game goes to extra time. And we finally have Chelsea's first true triumph over Liverpool. Yes, they won in the in the first leg of the semi-final the prior season. But here it's a win at Stamford Bridge. Still haven't beaten them at Anfield. But it's a win at Stamford Bridge and it's... And it's a qualification to the next phase. And as soon as you see Jose Marino depart after a nil-nil draw with Rosenborg, it's Avram Grant taking Roman Abramovich to his holy grail, the Champions League final in Moscow, no less, as well, and all that. Um, but I think it, it obviously it wasn't to do with Mourinho leaving. It wasn't to do with Avram Grant, the... Uh, the generational manager of his time, the the forgotten genius. It wasn't anything to do with that. It was the fact that the players that Mourinho had brought in, the team that Mourinho had manufactured, had just about enough about them to get through probably one of the easier runs that you're ever likely to get to in order to get to the Champions League semi-final, Olympiacos, Fenerbahce. And perhaps Mourinho would have played out, it would have been, a, there would have been three goals, at an absolute maximum in this semi-final. But here it's, you know, Chelsea end up scoring four in the in the semi-final second leg. So it's more goals than and, and in the previous matches combined almost for one team. And um, there you have, perhaps they just needed 
bit of reckless abandon, even though it was it was not quality, the quality that Chelsea had had in prior seasons. They lost the Premier League again to Manchester United. But they ran them all the way to the final day and they would have to play Manchester United in Moscow in the first ever All-English final. But first got to look at Barcelona. Barcelona, they hadn't got rid of Deco or Ronaldinho just yet, or even Frank Rijkaard, but all three were coming. All three were. And uh, Lionel Messi was easily the star of the show now. He just needed a little bit of more experience and uh, the right man to guide him in terms of manager. And um, he was dragging Frank Rijkaard's team along at times. The abiding memory from this time is, yes, you have the Elasticos, the wonderful goals from Ronaldinho. You have also then the fame being handed to Lionel Messi after his goal against Hatafe. And then you get, obviously, if they weren't already, then Messi, Maradona um, conclusions were reached. He was going to be the new Maradona. And we could probably say now in 2022 that World Cup trophy aside, he's eclipsed Maradona, in my opinion. And um, maybe in yours too. But uh, we're not doing that type of uh, show today. <laughs> we're just looking at the Champions League. So, of course, we've discussed that they beat Celtic, they beat Schalke too, and Barcelona were now in the semi-finals against Manchester United. Now, unlike Chelsea, Man United had got beyond um, two pretty, although not elite teams, you've got to say, in Lyon and Roma, they were both on the fringes. Lyon were very dangerous with Karim Benzema. He was one of the, uh, he was the star of that team. And afterwards, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson made it his mission to sign Benzema, but unfortunately he would go to Real Madrid, where he still plays, of course. And uh, Roma, of course, had Francesco Totti, that um, elusive 4-6-0 that by the time of their quarterfinal, Manchester United had um, had almost mimicked, really. And by the second leg against Roma, after a wonderful win in the Olympico, it, was a, it wasn't a 7-1, but it was... Less of a roller coaster because let's not forget that 7-1 was preceded by a a 2-1 defeat in Rome and a Paul Scholes red card. So it was not not a foregone conclusion by the quarterfinal second leg in 2007. By 2008, though, Man United were able to rest players. You had Owen Hargreaves playing right midfield, for example. So that goes to show how in the bag it almost was really and uh, with Carlos Tevez leading the line United were given a, an entirely new dimension you had runners there you had Wayne Rooney it would often be stylized as a 4-4-2 but you had Ronaldo cutting in you had Tevez and Rooney dropping off they all could press even Ronaldo could press then who knows anyway so you've got almost a, an aping of this 4-6-0 by uh, Spalletti the strikerless formation but in essence really United are under Ferguson around this team, it's it's the perfection, really, the, the that Ferguson was striving for for ages. And um, in previous episodes, we've discussed about how his dream was to dominate in Europe against European teams. Obviously, he joined Manchester United when it was the best football was played by Spanish teams, Italian teams, maybe even Dutch teams at times. But um, by this point, obviously, the, the Champions League was almost an English competition with the amount of all English clashes that we get. And here with um, the right tactical setup, the right players as well, he was um, obviously Ronaldo still in with a shout between Kaká and Messi as the world's best player at this stage. And uh, he was certainly on fire, scored five goals in four matches against Lyon and Roma and until the Champions League semi-final against Barcelona, missing the target with a penalty in the Camp Nou at the 
at the most important moment, it seemed anyway. But it, that nil-nil draw made things nervy going into the second leg until Paul Scholes' wonder goal dragged United through. It was still panic station. You started Lionel Messi running amok, but unfortunately for Barcelona, he would be kept at bay at Old Trafford and United essentially held on to a, a half a goal lead and we had an all-English final, just as we had had an all-Spanish final in 2000, just as we had had an all-Italian final in 2003. We had Manchester United, Chelsea, after United had just beaten Chelsea to the Premier League some days late, some days prior, they were to meet in Moscow. Now, it was a game of three halves, which is the idiom stretched, really, isn't it? Um, United had the better of the first half. Ronaldo scores the goal. He's 44th in all competitions. He was that in that kind of form. George Best-esque goal-scoring form for United. You had chances for Wayne Rooney, Carlos Tevez, Michael Carrick making a nuisance really of Michael Essien at right back but then all that pressure didn't pay off Frank Lampard squeaks in an equaliser a little bit fortunate with a couple of deflections a little bit of a slip and uh, he squeaks in there scores the equaliser and from then on in Chelsea have the better of the second half they have the better of the extra time and they hit the woodwork a number of times unfortunately though they are undone not really by penalties they're undone by a moment of petulance Didier Drogba slapping Nemanja Vidic and of course Ronaldo misses a penalty again hitting Petacek square in the face but it would give Mr Chelsea match point and if anything if 2012 is anything to go by John Terry obviously wouldn't be taking that penalty it would be Didier Drogba and he would have you'd have expected him to score put it that way and uh, of course John Terry slips in the Moscow rain and Elka new signing unfortunately misses too and Manchester United are champions again it probably would have been unjust across the whole season if we discussed the whole season for United not to beat Chelsea. Chelsea were um, cataclysmically bad in comparison to their prior seasons um, under Avram Grant. But in this game on the day, they were probably the better team. They, well, they were the better team. There's no doubt about that. But across the whole season, you can't begrudge United winning their third Champions League. Of course, this would put them three ahead of Chelsea in terms of the Champions League stakes. Here in 2022, there's just one between them, of course. Man United haven't won a single Champions League since Chelsea have risen to finally claim that Holy Grail under Roman Abramovich twice. We'll be discussing all those seasons soon. But first, since the Champions League is back next week as well, we're going to be discussing... Continuing this series of Le Grandes Equipe, we're going to be looking at the 2008-9 Champions League season. So until then, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for supporting the channel if you do via Patreon and via watching our YouTube videos. Until then, thank you and see you. Podcast Network.